This is 680 CJOB. Yes, the weekend is here. The weekend is here. So I hope you have plans to break out the barbecue and get outside before the kids are back in school next week. Today's show is a gooder. We talked to Jesse from Mercadito Latino Restaurant later in the hour about the great food they make, most of it being gluten-free. But first up is a gentleman I consider to be the authority on Winnipeg restaurants and dining. He placed fifth in the first season of MasterChef Canada and is a well-seasoned food writer. You like that pun? Well-seasoned. Get it? Um, <laughs> and the manager of social media and communications for tourism Winnipeg, which includes writing for the ever-popular Peg City Grub website. All right, so let's talk a little bit about your background and what you consider your official occupation to be, because you're a writer, broadcaster, food journalist, and obviously a pretty uh, competent home cook since you placed fifth out of thousands of applicants and contestants in the first season of MasterChef Canada. So I'm wondering what you were looking to gain from being on the show, and, and did you get that? So yeah, MasterChef was really weird in the sense that I had never watched the American program. And then it was my brother-in-law who uh, who'd been watching it, and he was saying that they were advertising that they're going to start uh, auditioning for the Canadian version. So I essentially kind of just applied on a whim, and uh, not really knowing what the format of the show was. And then so after that kind of phone interview process and online interview process, I did the cooking portion in Winnipeg, and then just kind of snowballed like that. So by the time I was actually on the show, before uh, my wife and I were kind of scrambling. DVR a bunch of the uh, back, like uh, the American episode yeah. to like actually see what the format of the show was. Yeah. So uh, before I moved to Vancouver, or before I moved to Winnipeg, even uh, when I was living in Vancouver, I was doing uh, food journalism there. Uh, I'd interned at uh, Vancouver magazine and then I kept writing an article or uh, like a monthly segment with them called Shop with a Chef. So like food writing was always kind of what I wanted to do. Uh, even before that, in Vancouver, I was manager of a really fancy catering company out there. So, like, I'd always been kind of involved with food, uh, even throughout high school and university and whatnot. So, when I decided to become a journalist, I knew that kind of wanted to be, like, what my focus was. Yeah. And then, so, I guess with MasterChef, what I wanted to do was to prove that, like, I could both cook and uh, write about it. So, that was kind of the mindset there. I never really had the idea to, like, open up a restaurant. So the love for food came before the love for journalism. Yeah, for sure. Like uh, both my like parents are both pretty big gourmands. Like my dad was always a big cook growing up. And uh, like they would always take me to restaurants when I was a kid, especially this one restaurant, the Plaza in Kenora, where I grew up. I used to be able to go back in the kitchen lots and the, uh, the Greeks there, the Adamopolises would like teach me stuff about Greek food. So that was kind of like my first introduction. Yep. And uh, yeah, so I was pretty fascinated with food from like a pretty early age. Okay, I'm assuming you you watched the last season of uh, of Master Chef. So were you happy to see another Winnipegger, Jeremy Sinaris, do so well? Yeah, I was happy to see him do well, but admittedly, I didn't watch it because that's the thing about when you're on a TV show; it kind of ruins it for you <laughs> afterwards. Like, I don't know if it was like some weird kind of post traumatic stress, but even like hearing the theme music yeah. and like watching it just kind of uh, brought me back to it because it's a really intense process. Like you're essentially almost like kidnapped by this uh, TV network for like two months to film it. You've got no phone, you've got no internet, no nothing like that. That's and you're bizarre. filming every day. So I found like rewatching the show, you're almost reliving being back on it. And I was, I even found it weird watching myself on TV during it. Really? So like I, I would follow like Jeremy on Twitter and stuff like that. And I would read the uh, recaps like online and stuff like that from uh, various news outlets. But I didn't really, I maybe watched like one episode. 
Uh, I'm assuming since you were obviously, you know, a journalist and you're writing that you were really connected internet-wise and technology-wise before you went on the show. So two months of being disconnected, what was that like? That was interesting, though, because I kind of like that, too. Uh, especially now, like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the manager of creative communications and social media of Tourism Winnipeg. Yeah. So I am on my phone lots, like especially I'm controlling our Twitter accounts, our Facebook, uh, Instagram, and what have you. So even before that, though, like it was actually kind of nice to be away from your phone for two months. Yeah. You, it was just one of those things because you're so used to checking your email on your phone. So it was kind of cool in the sense that especially the people you're on the show with, it makes you grow close really fast because mm-hmm. there's really no one else to talk to. And uh, you wouldn't get back to the apartment until fairly late at night. So we weren't even really watching TV. So that was kind of fun. And then you would interact a lot with the uh, the staff and like the cameramen and the editors and whatnot who worked on the show and the people who do the interviews. So it's kind of funny. So it's like, it's almost like you make this little family for like, you know, a month and a half, two months. Do you keep in touch with yeah. any of those people? Yeah, I keep in touch with a lot of them still. Uh, we we probably make it down to Toronto about once a year, or twice a year. So I meet a, I'll like meet up with a bunch of them down there. Uh, a couple of the other ones from Vancouver too. So yeah, like and we're we're all Facebook friends and whatnot, and we still talk and what have you. Okay, that leads me to my third question. Kind of led in. I was you're a writer, broadcaster, food journalist, and like you said, you're the manager of social media and creative communications for Tourism Winnipeg. Um, and I, I, I think that the Peg City Grub website is becoming the authority on, on where to go for new restaurants and existing restaurants. Every time I read it, I wonder, how does this guy cover so much ground? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like any little yeah. restaurant that I've gone into and I'm wondering, or I'm thinking of going to, I kind of do Google search yeah. with Peg City Grub and the restaurant name and bling, you've, you've written an article about it. Like, how do you right. cover so much? Well, right now, too, like I especially like to cover something that's brand new, that's opening. Uh, but for me, especially with the journalist background, I really like to cover something with a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of these new restaurateurs or people, young chefs that are opening stuff, they always have a cool story as to why they did so. Uh, but as far as finding my stories go, I got to say nowadays with like Instagram and Facebook, uh, friends will like tag themselves at a brand new restaurant that maybe just like opened up a week ago. And then, you know, I'll go eat there first, make sure it's good. Because our whole mandate is for Peg City Grub, it being a Tourism Winnipeg website, is we're only going to promote like really good restaurants for sure. and like tell their stories, right? Yeah. So yeah, I'll check it out, make sure it's cool. And then, uh, you know, a lot of the times I'll get back to the people and say, hey, I was at your restaurant. I really want to like do a story with you. And then so many of the times it turns out they actually have a really cool story that goes along with the fact that they've opened up this place. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it is quite something uh, because so many new restaurants open here all the time to keep track of them all. And, uh, you know, sometimes I don't get a chance to cover something for like, you know, six months after it opens. But a lot of the times, especially this past summer, I've been pretty lucky to find really good spots that have just opened up within a month or two. Yeah, you're saving a lot of people a lot of legwork, right? Yeah, for sure. And it's just great to see that interaction, too. We get really good feedback on Facebook with people recommending stuff, and especially on Twitter as well. Um, if I'm tweeting about a certain restaurant or if I'm picking a picture for something, and uh, you do get good recommendations based on that as well. And I've just got a lot of friends too who, uh, who are in the service industry, who work in kitchens and whatnot. And uh, that's a great thing too, to pick the brains of chefs, like where they're eating when they're not at their own restaurant. Right, yeah, that's killer. That's awesome information. When we return, we are going to continue our conversation with Mike Green about the culinary scene going on around Winnipeg. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. I'm Kevin Bergen, of course. I'm back with Mike Green, who is a food writer from Peg City Grub. And we're talking about the culinary scene around our great city. 
episode. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Winnipeg. So in June of this yeah. year, you did a little culinary bike tour with Calgary-based uh, food writer Dan Clapson, which I think was really mm-hmm. cool because he interviewed you for Eat North in 2014 when you were when you were doing MasterChef. So I thought that was kind of a neat yeah. thing for him to come back on that, right? Yeah, for sure. So, so you took him to four notable places. At least, no, yeah. you know, I found very interesting. And the interesting thing I found about it, like you took him to Clementine's on Princess. Fourth, yeah. Fourth on McDermott. Yeah. The Common at the Forks. Yeah. And Constance Pop on, on, on Provence. So yeah. three out of those four places had only been open for a few months in the restaurant industry. You know, usually those first few months are when people are working out kinks. Um, right. You know, it's hard to keep consistency, like food consistency and service consistency to bring a, a really good experience. But you felt confident enough to bring him to three out of four of those places that were new. So I'm wondering what gave you, gave you that confidence to bring this guy from out of town into those new right. establishments. Right, yeah. So for starters with Clementine, I'd already been there a couple of times and you, you knew it was going to be good because like uh, between Adam and Carolina and Chris, like opening up that spot. Like Segovia, had, you know, has always been one of the top three, you know, if not the best restaurant in Winnipeg for, you know, since it opened. Right. So I think the, the whole city was very excited to see them or the whole city who's like into food was really excited to see them opening up a brunch spot, which was like one of those things in Winnipeg that we didn't quite have that was doing like, I don't want to say a higher end brunch, but like something that wasn't just, you know, like eggs and bacon and hash browns like done well. Right. So like something like that. And for me, like I, I kind of known Dan for about the last two or three years since he did that interview with me. And uh, one of our both favorite spots in like all of Canada would be Cafe Medina for brunch. And that was uh, one of the vibes I totally got from Clementine as soon as I got there. So I knew that he would enjoy that place. Uh, as far as the common at the Forks, uh, well, we were, we were doing it on bikes too. So it had to kind of be geographically specific. Mm-hmm. So for that one, um, it, it was where we were kind of starting the bike tour and there's just nowhere else in Canada that's doing something that, that that's got like a food and beer hall that's completely licensed all on the bottom floor, uh, where they've got like a really excellent selection of wines and beers that you, you know, you have on tap. So that was kind of cool. And the fact that the food is really good there too, uh, that, you know, there's some established like for these fish and chips and whatnot. And, uh, Simon's empanadas is really good. And fusion experience is like a really good sushi place. So, that was kind of how that went in. And then with fourth, he actually knows uh, Pamela Kirkpatrick, the chef there from before as well. So that was originally, so that was interesting because that was on his radar too, along with mine. So he had ended up going there independently. So that's why we had that one. Yeah. And then uh, with Constance, we, what we wanted to do is we were doing a little, we were trying to burn a couple calories for sure. <laughs> so that's why we were going around St. Boniface and doing a full tour there. Yeah. And we'd also planned to do La Belle Baguette, but like we were, we were so full <laughs> by this point. So when we stopped and we wanted a, a cool treat on the way back. And at the time, too, she was doing something really cool with birch syrup. And uh, for him, too, he likes to highlight a lot of uh, like provincially based products. Yeah. So that Manitoba birch syrup is just such a cool product, and she's been making ice cream with it all summer. So it just kind of made sense to fit that in like that. Yeah, that must have been a long bike ride at the end there, right? Eh? <laughs> it was. <laughs> we were like, like it was like, well, you can't eat four meals in two hours, which we did, but you know, you, you just you just do that, and uh, yeah, you feel like a snake, and you don't have to eat for like the next month almost. <laughs> totally. Okay, so let's talk about upcoming food events in Winnipeg, specifically um, Winnipeg food events that only your waistline will want to miss. I love that. I love that line. Um, yeah. So for those who haven't read that article, maybe you can talk about some of the, the things that that article covered. Yeah, like this month, if you were to actually do all three events, which would be uh, Le Burger Week, which starts uh, on the 1st, I guess tomorrow, 
then there, right after that is Manifest, which is from the 9th to 11th. And then there's the Poutine Cup at the end of the month on the 28th. So if you were to actually do them all and like go right through it, you'd be eating 59 burgers, <laughs> eating from 30 food. So 59 burgers in one week, you'd be eating from 30 food trucks in three days. And then uh, at least you get about a two and a half week grace period. And then you're eating 10 poutines in one night. So like if you want to like bulk up for winter, this is the month <laughs> to like do it. But it's just really cool that uh, that Winnipeg puts on so many events in September like that, too. Because I think it's it's a good way to do it. Summer's kind of winding down and uh, everyone's kind of back in the city. And it, it like it's it's a really good boost for restaurants, too, because normally it would be kind of a bit of a slower time, maybe. Uh, so with like, it's really amazing with La Burger Week that they've got 59 restaurants doing it this year. Like that's a fairly incredible amount. Yeah, that's huge. Um, and like, I can't believe the amount of effort that some of these restaurants go into doing it because the margins have got to be fairly tight on these burgers because mm-hmm. there, there's some really extravagant ones. Like everyone is at least doing like one kind of meat. Uh, and like, that would be like in the minority, like most of them have at least two or three. There's like a lot of foie gras, a lot of pork belly going along. And the fact that a lot of these restaurants are making their own buns too and grinding their own meat, like it's an extreme amount of effort that they're going to be doing. And uh, a couple of the restaurants I've been talking to who are participating, they're just saying like how busy that they're going to be. And uh, they've been taking Instagram shots of just like the amount of inventory they're bringing in just because they know they're going to be like serving up hundreds of burgers a day. So that's really extreme Mm -hmm. in the fact of that. And then Minifest, I judged that one last year. And that's about as aggressive as the judging can get because we ate, there's uh, three of us, there's Doug Spires uh, from the Free Press and uh, Susie Parker. And we ate, so we did it over the course of two days because doing it in one day would have been impossible. But we ate from 18 food trucks the first day and I think it was around like 14 the next day. So like just covering like somewhat over 30 food trucks in two days. You would think that we would just be able to get kind of like an amuse-bouche from each food truck, but like the owners are always watching you eat it and you've got your judge's scorecard out. So they're giving you like the full meal deal. Yeah. So like you're going to eat this full euros in front of a Greek guy if he's going to serve it to you, right? Like it's one of those things we're eating like we would at least cut a burger into four or or a pizza or whatnot. But like it was probably like a 3000 calorie day, like between those two. (laughs) And uh but it's really cool, though, the, the the whole food truck scene now in Winnipeg, it's just exploded in the last four or five years. And the variety out there, um, and it's one thing to see that all on uh, Broadway when you can maybe see about 12 trucks lined up and whatnot. But to have like 30 of like the 50 or so food trucks we have here and just to see the diversity, it's really interesting. Yeah, it is. It, you actually kind of scared me. I, I read your article on it and... Um... What you just said scared me because I'm a judge this year for for. Oh yeah, one. you're in for it. Oh my! <laughs> so I read that. I read that that when you said uh, the whole um the the snake and eating an antelope thing and uh, yeah to, yeah. To, and I thought, man, that's a lot of food to digest. But you know what? I'm I think I can tough it out. You get ready for it. Yeah, definitely skip breakfast that morning for sure. Yeah. Uh, any other advice regarding um eating each day? Uh, like you said, you can't you can't eat a full meal at each one. I just couldn't. Couldn't do it. Yeah, you like I, I think try and get a good strategy going with the uh, both with the downtown Winnipeg biz people and the other judges to try and like do more sampling because uh, obviously you don't want to see any food waste either. No, so really. you know one I think one dish and you split it between the three, but you know that adds up times thirty, right? So yeah. you're still 
if you do it, even if you do the math on that, you're still eating from 10 full, you know, 10 full meals from a food truck yeah. in about a two hour setting. <laughs> so it, it, it's a bold adventure for sure. As far as food goes. When we return after the news, weather and sports, we're going to continue our conversation with Mike Green from Peg City Grub, and we are going to talk about Winnipeg's must-see culinary spots. This is Kevin Bergen on The Main Ingredient on 680 CJOB. Hi, everyone. This is Kevin Bergen on The Main Ingredient on 680 CJOB. After the news, weather, and sports, we are going to continue our conversation with Mike Green, food writer for Peg City Grub, about his favorite spots to eat around the city, and we are also going to talk to my friend Jesse from Mercadito Latino Restaurant about the great food they serve. We'll be right back. Happy long weekend, everyone. My name is Kevin Bergen, and this is The Main Ingredient on 680 CJOB. And if you're just joining us, I'm talking to Mike Green, who's a food writer for Peg City Grub, about his favorite spots to eat around the city. Okay, so what are some of your must-see spots in Winnipeg for visitors and residents? So you, you can, maybe you can break it down into breakfast spots, lunch spots, dinner spots, however you want. I'm obviously choosing Clementine. It's just killer. I've, I think I've tried to get through most of the menu so far. I find it hard, though, to stray away from the uh, fried chicken toast. And they just, like, released a new version of it last fried week. Fried chicken toast? Yeah, it's awesome. so good. Um, the the guy who's making their sourdough bread, he's just amazing. Uh, his name's just escaping me right now, but he's also part of the Central Project there. Mm-hmm. And he's just a, a fantastic baker. So it starts with that sourdough. Uh, the chicken, is, it's got a really nice citrusy kind of brine before yep. they uh, fry it. And then uh, right now, underneath, they say it's a quote-unquote calypso sauce. I'm not sure what that would uh, entail, and I Googled it. I think it's just made up. But it's almost like a maple uh, hot sauce. And then you've got kind of an avocado crema going on there as well. And then on top, they've got bread and butter pickles for some acidity. Oh, it's it's just like – that's like probably my favorite dish right now in the city. So that's amazing. Uh, I'm also quite a fan of the uh, brunches at Sherbrooke Street Deli. Um, They kind of switch it up every other week. Uh, but their latkes are really good. Uh, I pretty much love everything on the menu at that restaurant, too. And I don't think you can go wrong with tallest poppy as well for uh, for a brunch spot. Um, I think another one, like, it's not a hidden gem for Winnipeggers at all, but I, I wonder about tourists if it's on their radar uh, for, like, lunch or dinner and uh, Baraka, like the legendary uh, Lebanese uh, shawarma place. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just think that, you know, that's a place that really needs to be celebrated more. Uh, the fact that they make their own pitas, the meats are excellent. The family who runs it is super nice, super down to earth, and their garlic sauce is just amazing. You're like so garlicky afterwards, but like <laughs> that's just like whenever I'm in that part of North Main Street, like you, you just have to go to Baraka. Yeah. It's like a must. And uh, dinner, we, I'm like I'm like all over the place right now. I would probably still say I go to like Segovia the most. I love Inoteca, uh, McKee, Scott Bagshaw's other uh, new place is really good. Um, deer and almond is always excellent and it's always got really interesting varieties and I think it's going to be really cool too because right now uh, Mandel from deer and almond he's actually in uh, I think it is in Denmark I'm, I'm pretty sure it's in Copenhagen but it's this festival that Rene Redzepi kind of started a little while ago that they invite all these really excellent chefs to so he's he's been there this week so it'll be interesting kind of what he brings back uh, to the table from that so always you know always love deer and almond in that sense uh, and this too, I've been doing these um, where chefs eat uh, segments where chefs will kind of take me to spots or recommend spots. And I got to say another one that was kind of creeping under my radar for uh, a Chinese spot was uh, Double Greetings Chinese Snack House. Where's that? Which is uh, just uh, just off of downtown a bit further north. Yep. I'm, I don't have the address on me by hand, but uh, they've got this brisket soup that is just out of control there. So that's great. 
And as well, the other one um, that Chef Ben Kramer had introduced me to uh, earlier on in the spring is uh, Dancing Noodle. Uh, so Xiaofei's place. And he had a little stint in the forks there at their yeah, neck. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that broth is killer. Like, I know it's all about the noodle show because it's really cool to see him hand pull the noodles and stuff like that. But his broth, too, is just out of control. So that's great. Yeah, there, there's a lot of good things going on right now, too. Um which, which kind yeah. of leads into my next question. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Winnipeg has changed so much in the last little while. So do you think do you think 10 years ago or even five years ago, a food writer would have had much to write about in this city? Yeah, like I think uh, the way I look at it, like I've been here for five years now. And even before that, I would still like read uh, Marion Morhoff's review in the free press. And they always had like Chow Magazine and stuff like that. And I, I think the big change is we've always had like really good hole-in-the-wall restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we've just had so many chefs that have either like lived away for a good while and kind of brought those skills back. Uh, a lot of farm to table eating, like the fact that like people are super proud of like Manitoba produce as they should be. Yep. So I think that's really like heightened it. And there's a lot of cool things happening, like with people like redoing like kind of traditional food. And I think that was one of the things with um, with John from Sherbrooke Street Deli being nominated this year for uh, top uh foodies from Western living because the fact that he's taken kind of the idea of like a Jew, a Jewish delicatessen and like, kind of like, you know, just reworking those uh, recipes a bit and just kind of heightening them. Yeah. So that's cool. And I think the other thing that's really going to be happening too is like, uh, like the continuation of the Filipino food scene. Um, I just did a piece with uh, Rod from Besita the other day and uh, Jipani has been like on people's radar for a good while now. They they were on the Food Network on, uh, I think it was You Gotta Eat Here. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that because we have like a really large Filipino food, po- uh, like Filipino population. That's quite but, large. Uh, yeah, and it just seems their restaurant scene doesn't get as celebrated outside of the Filipino community mm-hmm. as much. Yep. So I think we're going to see more of that too. And it'll be kind of like the national epicenter for that in Canada. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so culinary wise, obviously we've come a long way. What things do you think Winnipeg does well, and what do you think things? What things do you think we need to work on? What can get better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for well, like as I was saying, the hole in the wall places we've got that down pat. Like between Korean, uh, Chinese places, um, and I think actually surprisingly so. I got to say, we moving from Vancouver, especially. I was surprised to see that there's a couple of really good sushi places here. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really impressed with uh, Ujiro every time I'm there. I think that's another place too that kind of flies under the radar a bit. Uh, so that's great. And I think in the exchange now too, we're seeing more and more like really good lunch spots, uh, people with like high-end gourmet sandwiches between Miss Browns and King and Bannon time. So I think that's uh, like something we're going to see more and more of, and that's doing really well. Uh, and right now too, it's really good to see microbreweries finally kind of really uh, popping up and that happening. Yeah, that's and awesome. coffee, we're we're doing we've been doing really good with the coffee scene too, with the whole third wave coffee between like fools and horses, and parlor and little sister and what have you there. Uh, the one thing I would like to see more, um, and I was really just seeing this when I was last in Vancouver in the spring, would uh, would be distilleries. Um, there's a lot of places out there making gin and vodka and whiskey now, and I think that'll be the next step kind of on our booze scene because we do have some really good cocktail bars now between like. Fourth, as we were mentioning before, Albert Street Cocktail, uh, places like that. So it'd be interesting to see if someone can get, a, get into the whole distillery thing. That would be interesting. And uh, I would like to see our Korean food, I think, celebrated a bit more, too, because we have some really good Korean restaurants. You just don't hear about them as much. 
like even like Kim Baek, which is kind of like the, you know, the, the classic hole in the wall, like Korean spot, like it's really good. And I, I just think it's like one of those things that's not quite yet on people's radar is like the caliber of Korean food we have here too. Wow. Mike, um, I'm really hungry now, so I'm going to cut this even short. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Me too. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on the show, man. You're a fountain of information. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Thanks, man. Cool. No, no worries. Thank you. When we return, we're going to talk to my friend Jesse from Mercadito Latino Restaurant. We'll be right back. Mercadito Latino Restaurant is this hidden gem of a restaurant, a Latin American restaurant, which uh, exists on Sargent Avenue. And currently we have Jesse in studio to uh, tell us a little bit more about it. All right. So why don't you tell us about Mercadito Restaurant and Market? I said that right? Si, muy bien. All right. All right. Maybe I'll take some Spanish. I feel like Dora the Explorer at the moment. Don't ever say Dora. I, my, my daughter used to watch that. I have nightmares of Dora, which is, which is hilarious. Okay, so let's let's go with some basic information, yeah. which is um, um, you can give us information on you know when and how it opened, um, where it was located originally, and um, why you relocated. I know you guys relocated, so maybe give us a little bit of a history of the restaurant itself. Yeah, well, Mercadito Latino opened in 2007. Um, it was ran by a Chilean family, and it used to be just a market Mm -hmm. because mercadito means small market in Spanish. So it used to be uh, like a grocery store selling ethnic food from Latin America. Then they expanded to open a small uh, cafe serving uh, Chilean empanadas and Salvadorian pupusas. Uh, My mother used to be a customer of theirs. And one day he told us that he was selling the business. And he knew that my mother was looking for a location to open a restaurant. So it actually all just came together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all spoke as a family. It was family run back then, and it still is today. Uh, so yeah, that happened in 2011. And then we were on Henderson Highway back then. Uh, and then in 2013, we moved to Sargent Avenue. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was still the restaurant slash market? Yeah, but in Henderson, it used to be more of a market uh, and less of a restaurant. Now here on Sargent, it's more of a restaurant and less than a market. Was that, was that your intent? Like that's what you wanted or just turned out that that's sometimes how it turned t- out. That's how it turned out. And uh, literally in Henderson Highway, our kitchen was the size of a washroom. <laughs> so even, even the health inspectors... We're like, how do you do so much food in this little corner? Like, we we were constantly bumping into each other. Yeah. Wow. Um, so now the kitchen's larger, though the menu is larger as well. So it's still a bit of bit of juggling that I have to do there. Right. So you added more work by creating a bigger menu, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess a lot of people are happy that, about that, probably, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So where in Central America primarily does the restaurant create its menu from? Well, my mother is from El Salvador, and my father is from Guatemala. Mm-hmm. So both countries are located in Central America. Um, and our main dish, I'd say, are pupusas. Pupusas is um, like a tortilla. It's filled with different fillings of your choice, either beans or cheese or pork or any combination of those three. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of it is that anyone can have it. If you're, if you're looking for gluten-free food, if you're a vegan, if you're a vegetarian, or a meat lover, anyone can have it because you could choose your fillings, mm-hmm. and it's made out of corn dough. So yeah, I read that that almost like, I guess eighty percent of your food is is gluten free. Gluten free, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, oh, so we're able to please lots of customers who suffer with celiac, and we can serve them 
So you guide them through that. I guess if uh, if someone with uh, with celiac uh, disease came in, you would guide them and tell them, hey, well, these are the things, which is a lot yeah. of the things on your menu. This is how you tweak this. And Actually, I always tell people that the first two pages on the menu, they're all gluten-free. Nice. Or in other words... Everything on the menu is gluten-free <laughs> except for yeah. quesadillas and burritos. But wow. everything else is gluten-free. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the popular dishes on your menu? Pupusas for sure, as mentioned previously. Uh, tortilla soup. Tortilla soup. Tortilla soup, yeah. Actually, um, my mom used to make that at home, and I used to think that it was to die for. And then we used to have uh, specials every Saturday. And one day she made that as a special, and it was a total hit. Um, it was such a hit that people started to ask for it more and more and more. So here you have this menu with stuff on there, and people are asking for something that's not even on exactly. it Exactly. And for some reason, we used to do the specials on Saturdays, <laughs> which is already the busiest day of the week, yeah. usually. You guys are gluttons for punishment. So, <laughs> so then we decided, you know what, let's just leave it on the menu permanently. Right. Um, and I feel that people, you know, they've been to Mexico, they've been to Guatemala, and or... They live in California, where there's a large Mexican population, and they tell us your tortilla soup is better. So I'm happy that people are enjoying our tortilla soup. Um, it's a chicken broth, has chicken breast strips inside, fried tortilla chips on top, melted cheese, sour cream, green onion, avocado. What's not to like, right? Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, in fact, let's cut this short. I, I'm, I'm kind of hungry. Let's I know. Let's <laughs> <laughs> head to Mercadito. <laughs> Dude, I'm really hungry now. Um, Okay, so let's talk about the market portion. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I'm assuming that you are filling a need for uh, Latin American products and food that people couldn't generally get here. Yeah, well, my parents are immigrants, and like many immigrants, uh, one of the things that you miss most from home is your food. Mm-hmm. And once you immigrate, you need to sort of adapt to the ingredients you can find wherever you, you're living. So luckily... Um, Central America, Latin America, it's not too hard to get products from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, we have customers from all over Latin America. It's not just strictly from Central America. It's from South America, from the Caribbean as well, from yep. Mexico. And I remember one time there was a product from Colombia named Chotorramo. And it's like this cake slice. Yep. Chotorramo? Chotorramo, yeah. Roll your R. Ramo. <laughs> Ramo. Ramo. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I brought like 20 pieces and they sold within a day. Oh, nice. So, so like, then, let's do that again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you guys sell kitchen products too. You sell uh, a tortilla press. A tortilla press, yeah. Very convenient. Um, my mother always makes them by hand, but she's been doing it for years, right? So, okay. So you sell tortilla presses and she st- still makes them by hand. At home, usually she makes them by hand. Yep. Um, because there's different types of tortillas, mm-hmm. right? And Mexico, they're usually very thin, and that's what people are accustomed to. Right. In Central America, they're smaller and thicker. Mm. So those are the ones that we make at home. But for tacos, you need to make the thin ones. So usually you need a tortilla press for that. Um, so yeah, we sell different types with made out of aluminum or cast iron, which lasts longer and very comfortable prices as well. So you don't have to very bring that heavy thing. Prices, I like that. Yeah, you don't have to bring that heavy thing from Mexico in your luggage yeah. anymore. You can get it here for practically the same price. Wow, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys also offer Spanish lessons. Si, senor. But like, is there anything? <laughs> so you're cooking, mm-hmm. you're bringing in products, mm-hmm. and you're teaching Spanish lessons. Yes, well, that's my little project. Um, my parents are not involved in that. 
uh, we're closed Sundays and Mondays. So mm-hmm. usually that's when lessons happen. Do you have it like at your location? At our location, yeah. So lots of people, you know, they've enjoyed the food and they've enjoyed the, the service. And then they see that we also teach Spanish. So I tell them about it. I was born here in Canada, though I consider Spanish to be my first language. Mm-hmm. Uh, like many of my other um, Latin American descendant friends, um, and I took Spanish at university as well. And I continue to speak Spanish with my family and friends. Um, so yeah, Spanish just surrounds my life. And I really f- feel like it's meant for me. And yeah, so I've been teaching through continuing ed for about three years. Yep. And I also TA'd at the University of Manitoba. And then I decided, you know what, let's, let's try doing some classes here. Yep. And it's worked out nicely. So, yeah, we have group classes and private classes as well. So if someone wants to get into a private class, how do they just contact the restaurant? You can just contact the restaurant, uh, even go on Facebook and message me. Right. And or your then, website, right? You can or the website as well, yeah. And, uh, yeah, we definitely can talk more about it and make uh, booking. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's give give people basic information, which is where you're located now and w- what are your hours. Do people need reservations or it's best to walk in? You know, we'll just give them the basic stuff to wrap up. Um, it's a small restaurant. It fits about only like 30 people. Um, so if it's a larger group, let's say four or more, that's when we take reservations. Mm-hmm. Anything less, there's practically no need for a reservation. Uh, we're open from 11.30 a.m. up until 8.30 p.m., from Tuesdays to Saturdays. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we're located at 570 Sargent Avenue. Perfect, Jesse. I appreciate you coming in. No, no problem. Thanks, Thank man. you very much for having me. Not a problem. Okay. We'll be back after the break to wrap it up. This is Kevin Bergen on the Made Ingredient on 680 CJOB. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. It's Kevin Bergen from the Made Ingredient. I'd like to thank my guest, Mike Green from Peg City Grub, for coming in and telling us everything he knows about the Winnipeg food scene. And also to my friend, Jesse from Mercadito Latino Restaurant for coming in and telling us about the great food that they serve the residents of Winnipeg. Um, I hope everybody enjoys a long weekend. Take care, and I will talk to you next week. This is The Main Ingredient on 680 CJOB. This is 680 CJOB.